A Mouthful of Air, a poetry podcast with Mark McGuinness. The Room Between Us by Denise Saul There you are, beside the telephone stand, waiting for me in a darkened room when I force open the white door. There you lie behind it. I never found out why you grabbed a pewter angel instead of the receiver when you tried to call me that morning. I give up trying to lift you from the floor as the room is no longer between us. You point again to the Bible door wall before I whisper, it's all right, all right. Now tell me what happened before the fall. Denise, where did this poem come from? This poem came from my experience as a caregiver for my mother, who I was caring for. And she experienced a stroke and aphasia. And aphasia is a communication disability affecting the speech centres of the brain. And it was during that space that I occupied that I couldn't understand silence. I didn't know how to capture silence in my writing because I was really pushed to write poetry about the experience of caregiving, the experience of trauma, and I couldn't find the right words to capture that experience. And this poem actually was one of the most difficult poems to write in the sense that it refused to arrive at the start when I was writing when I was writing all the the poems for the collection it didn't persist it didn't want to make itself known and I tried to write about the experience of finding a collapsed body and I used the lyric form to do so and it just Mm. didn't work and I think it's the whole reasoning behind it was the use of the eye and the use of all the senses of the body. Mm -hmm. And it just pushed me closer to the situation. And I just couldn't harness the um, traumatic experience of finding silence, of being in a space which wasn't lit, of seeing um, the bodily experience of brain trauma 
And it was only towards the end when I was actually bringing the collection together. And it's at that stage, you know, when as a poet, you need three or four poems just to complete that collection. Mm -hmm. And this poem arrived and it arrived not quietly, but quite loudly. Oh, really? Yes, it stormed into the room and it set up a dialogue with all the other poems. And I knew the title of that poem would be the title of the collection. And I knew that this poem had to be the first poem in the collection because I wanted my mother's voice to have a presence and have space within the collection. And I didn't want my voice to overtake her bodily experience. So that poem had to be the first poem that the reader saw and absorbed and read. Well, I can hear that certainty in your voice now. And, you you know, it was a surprise to me when you said it didn't come easily and it was one of the last ones, because, of course, it is the title poem of the collection and it it really just starts the book and and almost, you know, sets out its stall. And, And everything else, I think, you read almost in the light of this or with this one vibrating through it. Um, so what was it like, that experience, when it stormed into the room? Because normally, you know, poets don't describe poems as, as arriving that dramatically. So I'm curious. That poem landed on the page. There was hardly any editing needed. And that's why I'm using that verb, stormed. Mm-hmm. Um, the only editing that was needed was in terms of the spacing. Because it is, basically consists of three verses. Yeah. Which are four lines, so quatrains. Mm-hmm. So 12 lines. And the original, the original layout of that poem was one verse, so one block verse. Uh-huh. And it was felt towards the editing stage that it just needed those two spacings between um, the fourth line and the eighth line just to have the poem make a conversation with Mm -hmm. the spacing around uh, the page and around it. And it just actually, with that spacing, actually created this kind of um, different stages of actually finding um, a collapsed body in a room. Mm -hmm. And that's what was needed. Um, I think poets, sometimes we can focus so much in the editing on the words Mm. making each word count, but actually it's the spacing that is in conversation and pressurising the poem, the margins um, and the actual spacing between the lines. And I just love lineation and syntax. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was a joy (laughs) to um, play with the poem. But as I said, the poem didn't need hardly any editing. It was just a case of allowing that poem to breathe right. and to insert the spacing in, inside that poem. And I think that's a really great point because, you know, one of the definitions of poetry or at least verse rather than prose is that there is the white space on the page that is, if, if you like, in conversation with the printed words, which you don't get in prose. And that white space has been often compared to silence. And I'd like to go back to a phrase you used just now when you described it. You talked about the traumatic experience of finding silence. And obviously, I can 
I can see what you mean in terms of the mother-daughter relationship, but also maybe is, is there something for the poet that there is something frightening about silence? I think for a poet, there's something frightening about the blank page. We talk about it, <laughs> don't we? And yeah. I think it's good to be embraced, actually. Mm. Uh, we can just always focus on the ink. But what about the spaces where there isn't any ink? Isn't there conversation taking place? And I think for me, that was a really important um, aspect to pulling the collection together of using the prose poetry form as well. Yes. Just to pressurise the words and pressurise the lines. I love putting the poem under pressure and seeing how it reacts. Hmm. Um, and I think that's where the beauty of poetry lies, is in that. And I always like to read fiction alongside reading poetry or looking at different other kinds of syntax um, and constructions of lines and sentences, because that helps me to um, order the energy of the poems, the, the energy within the poems, and coming back to what you were saying about the blank aspects on the page, there's a lot of energy in there. Um, mm. and I just wanted this conversation to take place, just as with my mother's experience of her not able to verbally um, communicate, to acknowledge that she was communicating, but in a different way. So with other parts of the body, if you gesture or point yeah. And um, for me, this whole process of writing this first poem really made me understand what silence is and how the writer can be feel threatened by it. And there's really no need to feel threatened by a blank page. Wow. And also reading the whole collection, you know, you've really described very beautifully the relationship between yourself and your mother when words couldn't always be relied on, so other forms of communication were, were needed. And again, I kept thinking about poetry, that negotiation between words and silence or other, other kind of nonlinear use of language. Mm. I think we also sometimes forget that poetry is music. And music has silence, has the, the breaks, you know, between notes and so on. And that's necessary. I think, you know, the, the silence is a, is a space for contemplation and reflecting on what has been said and what has been realised. And it's necessary to have that in the poem and for the poem itself to be in conversation with that blank aspect because um, I think it's when the mind is still, there's a stillness that happens in, in, the, in the silence, in the spaces where there aren't any of the text there, any residue of the text. And I think it's, for me, it was a, a period of growth to pull together these poems, to allow them to enter this room. Because in fact, this collection is centred around the house. So with some mm -hmm. of the prose poems, which are shaped almost like rooms, like yes, the, verse, yes. you know, the word stanza means room in Italian. It's just having yeah. that space 
um, recognised and allowing it to be recognised because as a carer, I was in the house and was occupying rooms because my space was restricted, just as my mother's space was restricted. Mm -hmm. So by playing with the form, by using prose poems, it actually pressurises the whole of the page, the experience, and centres around the body, which I feel is really quite fascinating. And obviously the poem is called The Room Between Us, which means the collection is called The Room Between Us. And, you know, rereading it again this morning, I was I was noticing, so the poem is called The Room Between Us, but when you, you actually step into the room, so to speak, in the poem, the way it appears is the room is no longer between us. Yes, yes, because there is a period within that situation where the room, the physical aspects of the room was a barrier. Right. And then as the situation progressed, there was no longer this space. There was this, I suppose, a kind of closeness that happened between the bodies as well. So, you know, the room can mean literally a physical room yeah. or the room, that space. And it's just that play on that aspect. Um, and there's also the room around, the spacing around the poem as well. Mm-hmm. And then the verse as well. So there's like rooms within a room within a room. Yes. And there's, yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot of objects in, in this room. You've got the telephone <laughs> stand and the door, the white door, the pewter angel receiver, Bible and so on. And there's quite a lot of trying to connect, but not being able to, like waiting for me, forcing open the door. I never found out why you tried to call me and so on. It's really, there's a lot of drama in this small space, isn't there? There is. And I wanted to address the body in the room. So, you know, starting off with there you are, implies this kind of mm. searching for yes yeah. you know this person mm-hmm. and um originally in my head i was going to write their eye you know and then i thought no it's, it has to be addressed there has to be a form of address within that poem and it has to start off that way i also wanted to play around with that whole polarity with light and dark because Mm. that scenario was situated in darkness. And so with the rest of the collection, there is that repetition of light. Yes, Um, yes. And and I wanted that to be obvious, and I wanted to play around with those two aspects of light and the spectrum, um, you know, because I always think darkness is light that hasn't had a chance to recognise itself. So I wanted to have that within the first verse of this light and dark aspect and the balancing that needed to take place um, throughout this whole experience. That's a terrific phrase. Darkness is light that hasn't had a chance to recognise itself. Yes, and I, I think, you know, that's in a chance is 
replicated in terms of the, the you know, we go back to the white page. And I think people, you can be as a writer more terrified of the of white page than a page which is filled with like black ink. Mm. You know? um, but with the poem in itself, I wanted to create a balance of two extremes in terms of colour, in mm-hmm. terms of experiences, and that adds to the drama of this particular poem. And can we focus on the ending a little? Because I think there's quite a lot of weight on that final phrase, before the fall, isn't there? There is. There is. Particularly with the Bible, just a couple of lines away. There are... Um, there are some references to spirituality and mysticism in the whole collection, mm-hmm. and mainly because of the the spiritual aspects of my mother, and I wanted mm-hmm. to harness that. But before the fall, actually, has so many different connotations. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, and I wanted that to be the final word from the dressing the body the person to this fall what happens in the fall just in the terms of the in biblical terms or in terms of like the falling language Mm. the bodily experience of the fall and within the collection itself within the poems there is that kind of movement from higher to lower in terms of the drama of the experiences yes because because i treat i wanted to treat my mother's experience as a a character that moves a particular arc Mm -hmm. and that's how i treat um my subject in my collections is to or in my work there has to be movement there has to be a movement in terms of the person's or the character, the voice's development. And so for me, that fall, it ends with that word fall. But what we see later on is the actual progression and a development that happens, yeah. almost like a rehabilitation in the way. Right. So we get after the fall as well, because obviously before the fall suggests lost innocence and wanting to go back. But actually, there's a lot of richness after the fall as well in the book yes yes and there is um i suppose a sense of maturity and you know with the fall there is a sense or there's this idea of the loss of innocence Mm. in some ways you could connect that to the whole experience which is um held within the, the collection itself yeah and this is one of the very few instances of rhyme in the collection, isn't it? Yes. Could you say something about that? Yeah, it wasn't intentional. It just happened. You know, I don't set out and think to myself, okay, this must rhyme and this must rhyme. Sure, sure. It no, just it's happens. Not. And, you know, there are some half rhymes in some of the poems. And, but it just felt right to have that there. Absolutely. It felt because it gives extra weight to the phrase, and particularly in the context that you're not rhyming and chiming all the way through. It's just just an extra little bit of pay attention to this. 
Um, and also, I couldn't help noticing, I won't give away any spoilers, but the final poem in the collection also ends with a rhyme, and it's the same rhyming sound. Yes. And it just, that felt like a lovely little just echo and a resonating chime to, to close the collection as well. Um, and it's quite daring to just do it at the beginning and the end and, and hardly at all in the middle. I know. And um, it's funny how the mind works. I think as a poet, as a writer, so we can think to ourselves, oh, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to set out to do that with a, with a poem. But I believe the poem has a high intelligence and it knows what it is. It mm -hmm. knows what it wants to be. And we should just, I just let the poem dictate to me rather than me dictating to the poem what it should be. Mm -hmm. With this poem, it told me what it wanted to be. Yeah. And um, would not fit in any other form. I originally wanted the whole collection to be um, in lyrical form. Mm -hmm. And lyrical form did not want to step into the room. But when I wrote this poem towards the end of the collection, pulling it together, that form felt that it should stay and be part of the collection. It takes a bit of maturity, doesn't it, to get to the point where you let the poem do what it wants rather than what you would like it to do or what your idea is of how it should be. Yes, yes, because I think we forget that, you know, the poem itself to me, is organic. It, it's never static. It's always moving, mm -hmm. and it, it, it grows. And there's certain aspects, certain layers that I don't see, and it's only the reader that comes to me and says, oh, have you noticed this, or this is happening? And there's that sense of realisation, oh, I didn't, re I didn't notice that, or that's just happened with the poem. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, through reading it out aloud, in front of audiences, you realise, oh, actually, this is what the poem is doing as well. I didn't notice that before on the page. Yeah. And to me, that gives me great joy when I'm writing the poems. It's the magical thing about poetry, isn't it? It knows more than we do. Exactly. I think as well, I was influenced. Uh, one of my um, go-to writers, US writer, is um, Lynn Herginian mm -hmm. and her collection, My Life. Um, and that collection is a whole series of prose poems. But what it does, it she's very much centres on the the line and what the line gives in, in the poem. And I've tried to follow that lead when writing this poem and the other poems in the collection. I think it's really important to look at the syntax Sometimes we can just look at the form, but actually the syntax is really important. Um, one of my um, mentors, Mimi, she always talks about, Mimi Cavalti, she always sort of talks about the syntax and how it can reveal the mind of the poet. Yes, yes, the shape of the thought, I think exactly. she said to us once. Um, yes, so we've both graduated from Mimi. Um, yeah, it's absolutely true, isn't it? That it's another, it's easy to look at the, the shape of the poem and and the, and the from the kind of poetic form side of things but it's where it intersects with the syntax is very often where interesting things happen and i think the most exciting things happen there as well 
you know um it can actually think push the energy of the poem and i think with this poem i really tried to make the energy work so you know the energy of that poem is quite fast yes yet quite slow and then you know you have the space in between that actually puts the energy on on some kind of a break and then it starts up again and then it stops and then it starts again and i really wanted to allow the the power of the poem to drive the narrative the syntax to drive the narrative of that poem and i'm curious because you said that this one arrived late and it changed the way you saw the rest of the collection i mean what 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 were the implications for the rest of the manuscript did you move things around did you change things or i think it was more that um there was more of a conversation between the poems. Once this mm-hmm. poem arrived, yeah. then all the other poems started to shout. And before they were just talking very quietly. So yeah. this poem was almost like a conductor in a way. It just kind of um, regulated the, the volume. I think that's what it did within this uh, sequence of poems. That's a lovely image, isn't it, for a title poem, The Conductor? Because it really does change, you know, if you've got a really strong title and title poem. The way, the, it's like a, it influences the way you, all the others perform. Totally. Because if I put this poem in the middle, you know, there was this, idea okay maybe I should put it in the middle because it's going to be the title of the collection and then I looked at the poem again I thought no it needs to be the first in the collection because it has to so to speak open the door and allow the other poems through beautiful well thank you Denise I think that's be a nice point to open the door again and, and hear the poem once more thank you The Room Between Us by Denise Saul There you are, beside the telephone stand, waiting for me in a darkened room when I force open the white door. There you lie behind it. I never found out why you grabbed a pewter angel instead of the receiver when you tried to call me that morning. I give up trying to lift you from the floor as the room is no longer between us. You point again to the Bible door wall before I whisper, it's all right, all right. Now tell me what happened before the fall. The Room Between Us by Denise Saul is from her collection, The Room Between Us, published by Pavilion Poetry. Denise is the author of two pamphlets, White Narcissi, was published by Flipped Eye Publishing, and was Poetry Book Society Pamphlet Choice. 
and House of Blue, published by Rack Press, was a PBS pamphlet recommendation. She is the recipient of the Poetry Society's Geoffrey Dearmer Prize for her poem Leaving Abyssinia. Her first full-length collection, The Room Between Us, is a Poetry Book Society summer recommendation for 2022. A Mouthful of Air is a poetry podcast hosted by Mark McGuinness. New episodes are released every other Tuesday. If you enjoy the show and you'd like to help me reach more poetry lovers, you can do this by telling a friend about it or by taking a few seconds to leave a rating or even a brief review on Apple Podcasts. If you would like a full transcript of Every episode sent to you via email, including the poem text, you can sign up for this at amouthfulofair.fm slash subscribe. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can find all the links, as well as a full episode archive, at amouthfulofair.fm. The music and soundscapes for the show are created by Javier Whaler. Sound production is by Breaking Waves and visual identity by Irene Hoffman. A Mouthful of Air is produced by the 21st Century Creative with support from Arts Council England via a National Lottery Project grant. Thank you for listening. I'll be back soon with another poem.